depending on where you've watched the news for the last few weeks, you've either seen Portland, Oregon as uh, a place that's seen some mostly peaceful protests, maybe some concerns about uh, about violence uh, at the beginning, and then this onslaught of federal uh, federal law enforcement. Or if you've been watching on on the other side of the uh, political spectrum, you may have seen file footage that's been replayed ad nauseum of of one or two moments of violence trying to justify the the federal presence. I want to talk about the reality on the ground in Portland, the larger picture in Oregon, and uh, I am very, very glad to be joined here on At the Table with the Attorney General for Oregon, Ellen Rosenblum. Ellen, thank you so much for spending some time with me. You are very busy doing some very important work, and uh, you are you are very kind to slum it with me for a little while here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me to come on to the table, <laughs> or be at the table. Yeah. If you're on the table, I think you're on the menu. I think th- 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 we, we kind of go into bad territory there. You and I are having this conversation. We are at the end of July. Much of the unrest has happened earlier in the month. From my perch in Washington, D.C., as a former White House reporter, you know, and we were actually just talking about this a moment ago before we started recording. I'm, I'm awaiting this administration's Friday news dump. You know, like this is this is what we get. But on on your coast, you're just now today, starting yesterday, really, but in today, seeing federal agents begin to leave after several weeks of of ramped up uh, federal presence. It would be a mistake to ask you for every detail of every block and corner uh, in Portland. But what what are the you're welcome. What are the legal questions that remain in the aftermath of this influx, this really unprecedented influx of federal law enforcement? Wow. Well, I uh, thanks for the question. I've never been happier to see August uh, come. It seemed like we were just jinxed uh, here in the month of July, because at the beginning of July, really right around the fourth of July is when the uh, the feds came to town. And of course, you know, we have our share of federal folks here and we all get along for the most part quite well. I know Billy Williams, the U.S. attorney, he used to be my clerk back years ago when I was an assistant United States attorney uh, in the 1980s. So, you know, we, we consider ourselves to be on good terms. And then uh, we get this and it's like, what the heck is going on here? So the legal issues are the same legal issues that have uh, continued throughout the month. Uh, it's really a question of uh, you know, respect for the law, respect for the rule of law, respect for local control, in particular of the police function. Uh, the United States Constitution, there's a bunch of uh, amendments in the Bill of Rights that turn out to be very important. I've heard of that. to police presence, in particular, the First Amendment, which involves, of course, the the issue of peaceable protests, the the law, the lawfulness of poli- of peaceable protests, the uh, the right to assemble, and not to be in fear, not to be in fear that uh, something really terrible is going to happen to you if you pe- choose to peacefully protest. And we have lots of across the country, uh, lots of very important reasons to be protesting right now, uh, and they haven't ended. They're just really beginning. We're just beginning to get a grip on what we need to address. So that in Portland is a very, very important thing to our to our citizens. And as the attorney general, uh, I look out for all uh, all Oregonians and, you know, particularly the most vulnerable. And you're quite vulnerable when you are in you know, the target of federal agents with um, with weapons. They call them non-lethal, but they're very dangerous and actually can be lethal. Uh, and with uh, unmarked police cars, uh, unidentified agents grabbing people off the streets, throwing them into 
vehicles and taking them who knows where. So there's been a lot of really bad stuff going on on the streets of Portland with regard to the conduct and the tactics of these federal agents. And we are very glad, very glad uh, to see them go wherever they're going. I hope they're not going. Here's the thing. I really hope they're not going to another city uh, and causing you know, more problems there. Because honestly, as horrible as it was to have them here, no one would wish this upon any other city in this country. Right well, now. and of course, the president has been pretty adamant that this was a, a test to, to see where he could send them next and try to... Uh, they've made no secret of this desire to uh, essentially have a chilling effect on free speech, which is exactly what the uh, the the amendments that you were referencing are trying to protect. You know, I, I think about this from, again, trying to keep this in the aegis of your, your background here. You know, two weeks ago, you asked for a temporary restraining order to prevent unidentified law enforcement officers right. from detaining protesters in unmarked vans. Unidentified officers, unmarked vans. That was denied by a district court. Oregon was denied standing in this effort to protect citizens from these tactics. And I don't want to get into the, the legalese here of a, of a Terry stop or, you know, we could get really bogged down. But I think when I saw this and I actually saw a quote from you about this, which was, you know, if, if Oregon doesn't have a standing to protect its citizens in this way, uh, who does? And, and that was really one of the reasons why I reached out to you and to your office to try to arrange this conversation, because it, it is flabbergasting to me. So my question is, What's next? What comes next? Is that the end of your effort? We've seen this. Obviously, the federal uh, law enforcement, they're leaving. But the work that you do, you know that sometimes the law is trying to find a remedy long after the fact. And what where does this leave you right now? Because this is a bad example if it is remained un unchallenged by you or other attorneys general around the country. Sure. Um, you know, we were disappointed in the court's ruling, but keep in mind it was a, a TRO, a temporary restraining order motion. Uh, the, the case is still alive. Um, we're not quite sure yet in light of the, the events of the last few days, quite where uh, we'll head with it. We've had a couple of strategy sessions and we'll have more on that. Uh, the U.S. Department of Justice, of course, is on the other side. They haven't filed uh, a motion right. yet. So I would say in terms of the law, uh, I'm, we're not particularly alarmed about this. We, we wish we'd had a different ruling, but there's lots that we can do to go forward if we do decide to go to a, essentially a trial on this to expand upon our theory of standing and to also expand upon the evidence that we presented. We had to, some, this was all done very quickly, pretty much uh, overnight in order to, uh, you know, definitely get the word out that we were not going to tolerate this conduct. And we think that we actually have had that impact in part as a result, the result that you see here, I'm not going to suggest that I brokered the deal, but I think by filing the lawsuit and by taking uh, this tack, tack, we have demonstrated that we just simply here in Oregon, we do not put up with this, these tactics and that they are simply not welcome here. They never were. And they became even less welcome as they escalated the violence and demonstrated that they were not up to the task if they did have one of calming things down. Well, let me ask you then a more pointed question, which is if someone purports to be a federal a law enforcement officer, but refuses to provide proof of that status and then detain someone by, you know, throwing them in an unmarked rental car, what's to stop you or the governor authorizing that individual's arrest? Because we don't, if I'm the citizen I have no idea who this person is. They're refusing. I, I saw this in Washington, in D.C., where I am, where they, you know, standing outside the Treasury Department, they refuse to identify themselves. We're seeing similar tactics. 
uh, by what's happening in Portland. And we're seeing that, you know, I mean, Bill, Bill Barr, the attorney general, U.S. attorney general, has said he doesn't believe that uh, uh, you know, resisting police is legitimate uh, protest. He doesn't think it's it's protected by those amendments we were citing earlier. What's preventing you or the or the governor from throwing these these guys into uh, into the back of your your vehicle? Well, we have a criminal investigation ongoing as well, not necessarily into that specific conduct, but there have been some terrible uh, injuries that have occurred uh, to individuals yeah. at the hands of the federal agents who came to town. And of course, we will look at any violations of criminal law. Now, whether or not that constitutes a violation of criminal, either local or possibly federal law, we could take a look at that. Uh, it may or may not. We certainly believe that it is a violation of the Constitution and a violation of the pub, the civil public nuisance law. And that's what we've brought thus far. So, you know, uh, the, sure, the optics of throwing a, a you know federal agent in, in jail certainly are kind of tantalizing, but that's not really what we're trying to do here. What we're trying to do is make sure that whatever is a violation of the law is stopped. And we think we've done a pretty good job of that so far by you know, bringing our lawsuit by bringing to the attention of the country what's going on and warning and alerting, uh, you know, mayors and, and, and other leaders in other cities what to anticipate. We've been in consultation with them. Uh, my Democratic Attorney General colleagues and I are on speed dial with each other. We want to make sure that we help protect each other's states and cities. So there's a lot that can come of this uh, without necessarily, uh, you know, throwing the the federal agents themselves into jail. Now, that said, we are we do have an open criminal investigation. I, I'm not trying to sound tantalizing because I don't take any there's there's no sick pleasure in this. I mean, th I guess the thing that I'm concerned about mm -hmm. and I think what a lot of people who are looking at this are concerned about is we have seen boogaloo boys, white supremacists, heavily armed camo wearing groups trying to intimidate these Black Lives Matter protests and other protests in the past. We have learned that in Minneapolis and elsewhere, white supremacists have disguised themselves as protesters or sometimes even as journalists right. to incite riots, cause property damage. We've made that's the argument we're making. We're making that very argument that that people who are being grabbed off the streets could believe that they're being kidnapped by a white supremacist, by a member of the Proud Boys. Who knows? But so when federal government refuses to identify their law enforcement with badges, name tags, et cetera, people tossed in, why isn't that kidnapping? Why is it? Why? I, I get what you're saying that there is that there's uh, you're looking at criminal investigation. But if you say it's unconstitutional, what's what is that just an escalation you're not willing to risk to to say, look, this is we're not going to tolerate this to the point of we need you to go and, and we're going to lock you up if you're going to start treating our citizens this way? Yeah, we haven't ruled anything out. Uh, but keep in mind that we didn't have, these people were not identified. We don't know who they were uh, and we still don't. So it involves some investigation and we will take, be taking a look at all potential violations of crime and we absolutely take it completely seriously. And I do agree. I do agree. The, the definition of kidnapping, just like the definition of rioting, it doesn't take much to, <laughs> to uh, cause a riot. Only five people have to, you know, combine together to, uh, to create a violent situation. And that's a riot. Um, kidnapping just takes, uh, you know, taking someone, uh, off the street and transporting them somewhere without their, without their consent. So absolutely. It could be kidnapping. I was watching, um, former president Obama offer remarks yesterday at the funeral of the late Congressman John Lewis and Obama referred to 
state-sponsored violence, the state troopers who beat Lewis bloody on the Pettus Bridge, and Obama said he imagined that those law enforcement officers may have thought they won that day. And I think about your, your governor, uh, Oregon Governor Kate Brown, who sat down with state troopers just a few weeks ago after they defied your state's mask order. Are you concerned? You know, we're just nine weeks. It feels like longer, but we're nine weeks after George Floyd was killed in Minnesota. Are you concerned that, that the law enforcement officers in your state are protecting and serving? Are you concerned that there is, is a, a deeper problem here? Well, you know, until the federal agencies ar- arrived here, it wasn't like our local police were absolutely, you know, on their best behavior. Uh, the state police really had not, other than the incident you described with the, the masks, which was a very uh, improper and unfortunate uh, you know, violation of the governor's executive order. And by the way, the state troopers work for the governor, the, the state police. Right. Um, but, you know, once the federal agents came and the uh, tactics on their part were so disproportionate to the conduct on the streets, it became, it, it really kind of moved the needle on what this was even all about. You know, the, the protests should be about, and they should be allowed to continue and be about uh, police brutal- protesting police brutality, protesting, you know, racial injustices, ro- protesting in Oregon, a long, long history of mistreating uh, persons of color in the state from the from before statehood. Uh, so this is a state where we, you know, we relish the opportunity to protest. And that was what was happening. And yes, there were incidents with the local police that certainly need to be addressed. But first of all, once the feds came in, that kind of distracted from trying to get to the table and resolve those issues. Now we can get back to the table and bringing the state police in. It was the, the governor's, um, you know, deal that she made. And, you know, they're not as local as obviously the Portland police and other local police forces, but they are led by a, uh, a very um, progressive leader, uh, a gentleman named Travis Hampton. Travis Hampton, I think, has committed to making this a peaceful transition and to changing the approach and the tactics. And that was in evidence last night. So I think we, there's a lot of hope for getting to the table to uh, for, for policy changes that are truly going to make a difference in our state. And we're already hard at work at that, both at the local and the state level. My folks at the Oregon Department of Justice are working 24-7 right now to help to develop policy in the area of police accountability and you know transformational uh, justice that will make a difference and that hopefully will end up in the right place with regard to the conduct of the police as well. Something that has been brought inside the Overton window when we talk about uh, the, the transformational justice on policing, is, of course, is defunding police. Uh, do you believe that uh, an effort to defund police could be a constructive way to then pay for social programs that might prevent crime and criminality in society instead of responding to it sometimes clumsily as police can? Absolutely. Uh, we call it in Oregon, we've called that justice reinvestment. Over the past decade, we've been hard at work and our legislature has passed uh, numerous laws that have allowed for uh, the movement of resources and funding from one place to another, in particular from the prison system to uh, intermediate types of sanctions and 
programs for drug treatment, for example, for prison, for reentry, so that when you get out of prison, you're not just thrown out on the street without any opportunity to really, um, uh, you know, prove that you can make it in the community. So we've been doing that for a long time. And, and you know, defunding, uh, you know, that's a term, term of, of, of not art, uh, but it's a term that's being used. I see defunding as similar to this concept of justice reinvestment. You take what you, you look at what you have and you try to uh, reduce some of the areas that aren't working, maybe even eliminate them as our city has already done uh, with respect to several of the units of the Portland police have literally been eliminated in the last uh, nine weeks as since the, the George Floyd murder. And we are definitely moving in that direction uh, to, but, but it, takes, it takes some time. Uh, that was done remarkably quickly. Uh, and you know, one of the reasons it's happening more quickly is because, in fact, maybe the main reason is because of these protests. So we need to keep the protests going uh, at a peaceful level to make sure that these changes are made and that we don't push them out for years because they need to be made now. I'm fascinated by the the pace of this and to see these things happening in real time. It's got to be, I would imagine, even from your vantage point where you've been in public service for a large portion of your life and where you've been working in this, for, you're, you're seeking your third term, yet to see this happen so quickly, is there anything that this reminds you of where you say to yourself, well, well, this has lit lit a fire under us in a way that's uh, that reminds me of anything, or is this is this moment uh, unique for you? Well, I think this is a pretty special and unique moment. Um, you know, unfortunately, caused by some pretty some horrific things, but in terms of the conduct of the federal, you know, uh, agents here, and you know what what motivated that, which uh, I believe to be virtually exclusively a, a political decision, I've just never I've never seen in my entire career. Uh, the kind of abuse of power that um, that happened here in our town. So the some of the outcomes, uh, what I just described with the defunding the of some of several police units, the uh, the speed at which we are engaging in special sessions of the legislature. Our second one was just scheduled for August 10th. We just had one a few weeks ago. We have a People of Color Caucus that is at a fantastic group of our most diverse legislators who are literally meeting every day. Into the, into the wee hours, working on crafting legislation that will move us in a progressive direction faster than anything I've ever seen. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything move this quickly, uh, but it is, a, it is a very unique moment. It is, a, it is a remarkable time and we must grab it and we must run with it. We can't look back, we have to look forward, but we also have to take you know, the opportunity to realize uh, that the reason that we are here is because of some terrible things that have preceded uh, this moment. And we must get, not just get past them, but never lose sight of how we got here in the first place. I want to run through some of the other political items that are uh, undoubtedly on the agenda for you and for other Democratic AGs around the country and for really attorneys general around the country, but especially I know within uh, your your colleagues uh, on the Democratic side of the aisle. But I, you, you mentioned the the political motivations, and I would I would like you, if you don't mind, to be as explicit as you feel you can about how you would characterize the political motivations behind this action, because we've seen. I characterized it a moment ago as unprecedented, but what what is happening with 
the president, President Trump, Attorney General Barr, what's happening with Customs and Border Protection and Immigration Customs Enforcement, what's happening uh, in your cities and what's uh, prefaced around the country. What do you think is the political motivation for that? Well, I, I think the political motivation primarily is for, the, for Donald Trump to, to be reelected. Um, he, uh, I think, is in, in big trouble. Uh, he's done a dreadful job of handling the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. And he, uh, as a result, uh, at least in part as a result, the economy is floundering and he doesn't quite know where to turn. So his most recent tack is to, uh, you know, it's like a sailboat out there on the sea. And he's now tacking to this um, uh, movement and uh, sending in the troops for, frankly, I believe, for footage for his next uh, television ad. And, you know, that's, he's playing to his base. His base isn't uh, really big enough for him to win, I hope. But that's what he's trying to do is shore up his base. And uh, he's taking advantage of Portland, which is kind of crazy to choose Portland since he knows he's never going to make any progress here uh, with, with ultimately with the voters. But he can use the footage for his national ads. And that's my concern is that now he's going to go to these other states where perhaps it is, uh, you know, he has, he has a little bit slightly better chance. I hope not. Uh, but that's been the case with all of these um, cases that we've brought against uh, Donald Trump. Now, now, that's not to say that he doesn't otherwise, you know, believe in what he's what he's doing, you know, pulling back on environmental regulations. I can't imagine that he really wants to destroy the environment, but he doesn't believe, that, uh, you know, in, in climate change. He doesn't believe in science. And so when you don't believe in science, then, uh, you know, why have regulations that actually work to protect, uh, you know, our, our emissions, our air, our, our, you know, water and our land. And in Oregon, we really care about these things. Uh, we, you know, we were one of the first states, we were the first state in the country to have, uh, you know, a, a law that protects our land, uh, Senate Bill 100. Uh, we were the first to have the bottle bill uh, where we actually, you know, pay, have, you know pay, get paid money to return our, our empty bottles. Uh, you know, we're a state that cares about these things. We care about our DACAs. We have 11,000, and that's not as many as a lot of other states, amazing young people here who are in the DACA program. And so Democratic Attorneys General join together on these cases to protect our people. And these are Oregonians. These are our Oregon dreamers. And we, you know, we were in the forefront uh, in this lawsuit, and we're very pleased at the outcome there. We win these lawsuits. And so I think we were we to take this one all the way that uh, we've been talking about earlier, I believe ultimately we would be successful in this one as well, uh, pushing back against the, the federal agents. But time and again, uh, Democratic attorneys general have brought lawsuits in the area of healthcare, in the area of education, pushing back against uh, Betsy DeVos, uh, pushing back against the EPA. Uh, it's, it's just one after the other. Uh, pushing back against, you know, the immigration service, against ICE. Uh, you know, most recently, uh, they backed off very quickly, but we brought a lawsuit to, uh, you know, against ICE uh, that was threatening to deport foreign students who were enrolled in all online classes to protect them from COVID. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, getting back to the politics, uh, ho hopefully, in my view, the president's in a world of hurt, uh, but it's really unfortunate that he uses these situations to uh, try to enhance his his political capital at the expense of you know really really uh, dangerous situations, harmful, cruel 
laws against uh, people who have every right to be in this country and to be treated better. And in fact, who are on the front lines of helping us to to deal with a, a pandemic. You mentioned DACA and I saw this week, of course, that the Trump administration will refuse to accept new DACA applications, and that is a direct flout of the the June ruling we saw from the Supreme Court. What's your message for dreamers in Oregon? Well, first of all, my message is that we love you and we care about you, and we want you to be here uh, with us because you contribute so much to our state. You are Oregonians. And you know, one of my close friends is actually now a DACA lawyer. He passed the bar and he is uh, doing amazing work. His name is Thomas Kim, and I'm just so proud of him. So, you know, we want to do everything that we can to ensure uh, not only that our current DACAs will uh, be able to stay here, but their families will as well, because that's a big part of it. You know, we don't, they, there's a lot of guilt about on the part of our dreamers because they know that they are actually potentially in a better situation than their own, uh, you know, parents are. Uh, you know, we also want new, uh, you know, DACAs to be uh, entered into the program. We don't want to limit it to 11,000. We want to have, you know, more than that, although eventually we really don't, shouldn't have any DACAs at all, because we want to have a new immigration policy, a new immigration law, so that we don't need the DACA program. But until then, we need this program, and we will do everything to fight to keep it and to increase and to improve and increase it. My last question for you is about voting. The president continues to repeat these unsubstantiated claims about voter fraud. He's argued that rampant COVID outbreaks are no reason to ramp up vote by mail. Of course, your state, Oregon, has had a long history of mail ballots. You've been a public official for most of that time, if not all of that time. How safe is vote by mail in your state? How can Oregon be an example to other states? And when you talk to other attorneys general, what's what's your advice to try to make this more smooth, uh, smoother over the next few months? I was just talking about that uh, within the last hour. Um, I think Oregon is a real beacon uh, for uh, vote by mail. I actually call it vote at home or vote in the kitchen, because it isn't always, uh, it doesn't even require putting your ballot in the mail, although that is uh, certainly uh, what we do and we can do. But the alternatives, there are many alternatives to uh, putting your ballot in the mail. You can also uh, put your ballot in a a ballot box. Uh, We have many boxes during the two-week voting period, uh, right up to, and including election day, you can go drop your, your ballot in a box. Uh, where you don't even have to, you know, worry about it going into the mails. But if it does, uh, either way, you have a, um, we have markings on our ballot, just like at the grocery store and or a UPS uh, type of of package. You can track your ballot from the time you drop it, wherever you do, all the way to when it is counted. And the uh, clerk's uh, elections office will provide you with uh, information on the status of your ballot. So we have a very safe uh, system. We have a very secure system. We have a signature matching program where two individuals, two real people, have to uh, look at every signature and match it to the signature on file. And if it does not match, then you have an opportunity to essentially appeal. So it's not just rejected. Uh, so most ballots are accepted, and those that aren't, you have the opportunity, as I said, to uh, to challenge that. And there's a challenge process. Uh, we also have uh, free postage, 
which is a very important part of vote by mail, because guess what? A lot of young people don't really know where to buy a stamp. And that's okay. <laughs> we get it. Uh, it's just, you know, a, a little bit of a new world. Uh, and we don't use, uh, a lot of people don't use the, the mail all that much. So we provide postage paid. I would say there's one thing that we don't have in Oregon that we should have, and I'm going to be uh, proposing that we move in this direction, and that is that we require that the ballot be postmarked by, excuse me, be received by election day, not postmarked by election day. That does allow for quicker ballot counting, but it also probably results in some ballots not being counted because you can never be absolutely sure when you do put it in the mail too late, uh, whether it's going to be received on time. We always tell people in the Secretary of State's office and the clerk's offices are very good about this. They tell people not to put it in the mail after a certain day, but to bring it in person or drop it in a box after that date to ensure that it gets to the, uh, that it will be counted. And of course, we just saw in Michigan, uh, Michigan Supreme Court declined to consider an appeal. They would let uh, absentee ballots count. Uh, count. And th- it was very, very particular. They, they want it by 8 p.m. on November 3rd. Have you talked about this with uh, your, your colleague, uh, Dana Nessel, in Michigan? Is this something that you guys uh, have discussed? We haven't discussed that specifically, but we will because Dana and I talk all the time. And that topic has not uh, popped up most recently in our conversations. She recently appeared on a Zoom for me uh, in my campaign. So we're, <laughs> we're uh, you know, very um, good friends, and I would be happy to talk with her and any of my colleagues. They all know. In fact, I'm kind of a broken record on this, to be honest, Jared. So uh, everybody knows that in Oregon, we have a great system that we've had for 20 years officially, 40 years unofficially of vote by mail. It works well. And here's the best news of all. We can't be hacked because it's all paper. <laughs> well, I, you know, if you're looking for more nicknames for it, I think vote at the table would also be uh, workable. I don't, I don't, I, you know, you, right, there right. are other options. There we go. <laughs> I, I am so grateful for the time that you've given me today, uh, Alan, and the, and, and more importantly, your expertise and the work that you're doing. You know, th- this is a lot of, uh, a lot of backbone to stand up to uh, federal troops and to make this uh, make this fight for your citizens. And I think that uh, people who can see what you've been doing and uh, and and hopefully, uh, you know, th- this is uh, obviously you're up for for reelection coming up in November yourself. So uh, I, the uh, the constituents who have seen the fight that you're doing can, uh, I guess, assess for themselves uh, whether or not that's good enough. But it looks like uh, you've been pretty tough to me. So I appreciate what you've been doing all the way here in Washington. So uh, again, thank you for the time and for spending it with me at the table. Totally. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Take care.